If you ask Americans what the purpose of prisons should be, the majority will tell you that they should be rehabilitative, not punitive in nature. But that's not the way that the American justice system actually functions. In fact, it's not the way that our culture functions. Throughout history, we have been notoriously bad at jumping to conclusions. It's the reason that in the height of the Red Scare of the 1950s, Arthur Miller wrote his most famous historical allegory about the Salem Witch Trials, the Crucible. Today, the cancel culture of the social media age is inescapable. Holding famous people accountable is undoubtedly important, but not everyone fits neatly into boxes of good or evil. We have long struggled to resist the temptations of simple narratives, that heroes do good all the time and that the vices of villains outweigh all else. Finding the duality in between means embracing a more complex story. I'm Izzy Amoruso. I'm Edward Sturm. And this is Duality. Every week we bring you two stories and a conversation about them. This week on Duality, McCarthyism versus cancel culture. We bring you stories of public reactions to controversy. There's no doubt that history collides with the present on this issue, but what lesson should we learn? So I wanted to start off today with a story that I actually stumbled on because I am subscribed to James Charles on YouTube. Love that. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, James Charles is a YouTuber who initially became famous for being the first boy hired as a cover girl. His YouTube channel, where he does various beauty and makeup-related videos, currently has 18.7 million subscribers, and he also has a large presence on other social media platforms. In April of 2019, he got swept into a drama alongside his frequent collaborator and self-proclaimed mother figure, Tati Westbrook, who is also a beauty guru on YouTube. James was at Coachella when he posted an Instagram story promoting supplements made by a company known as Sugar Bear Hair. Now, these vitamins have a fairly large Instagram following, and the company is in direct competition with the supplement brand owned by Tati called Halo Beauty. Tati's response to this was to also post an Instagram story in which she was visibly crying while she stated, Everybody says what they need to say and uses who they need to use, and I have had about enough. It's not right. James responded to this with a long post on his story, apologizing to Tati and claiming that Sugar Bear Hair had helped him get a security team at Coachella in return for the promotion. Fast forward to May 2019, Tati uploads a 40-minute video in which she lists all of the reasons she is no longer friends with James Charles. In summary, she contended that James didn't warn her about his post, that the post was pre-planned, and that James's apology was disingenuous. But the large claim that she made, which resulted in public outrage, was when she accused James of coercing men into performing sexual acts, specifically straight men. Uh-huh. I know. That's a very serious allegation. And after this video went live, Tati's subscriber count increased by 7 million, while James's dropped by 3 million. He had been cancelled, so to speak. A few days later, James posted a video on his YouTube titled No More Lies, where he addressed every accusation Tati made, referencing screenshots, texts, and more. He disproved the allegations, and the public seemed to sway back to his side. About a year later, Tati has deleted all of the videos relating to this feud and has returned to posting her regular content. Okay, so what do you... 
To you, what is the moral of this story, I guess? I, it's funny to me. I'm glad that you picked this, for one, because you know that you are much more tapped into the to the YouTube uh, community. I, yeah, that, that's fair, <laughs> than I am. Um, what can we learn from this? Well, first, I think it's important for us to define what cancel culture is and what it means to be canceled, because I, I've referenced the term to be canceled, so just to give some context around that. Yeah. Um, so cancel culture is the tendency of the public to fall into a mob mentality and withdraw support for public figures or celebrities based off of their alleged actions. So with that in mind, I thought that this story was interesting because James Charles had this platform that really withdrew massive amounts of support for him. Um, I know I mentioned earlier that he currently has 18.7 million subscribers, but at the time, the initial amount of subscribers he had before money unsubscribed to him was much less, so that loss of followers was much more significant, and it was also being talked about all over social media. He did have the ability and the following to speak up for himself and disprove the accusations made against him, and I think that that just shows us that this was a very privileged place to be canceled from if that makes any sense. Yeah, well, and I was sort of going there next. I mean, it's it's clear that this is his livelihood, this subscriber count, it, it does matter. But we're talking about, like, people following you on YouTube. This isn't... I, I think that there are a lot of other instances throughout history where um, sort of that dictionary definition of cancel culture that you gave uh, applied maybe not in the context of social media, but in all ty- kinds of things, uh, false accusations, anything like that, due to that mob mentality that obviously is not a, a not, not a phenomena. That's something that we've seen for a long time. You know, you get your, your pitchfork and your torch and you go after it. <laughs> that has had much, much deeper consequences uh, in other times. Sure. And his, you know, now that he has recouped his following, he's onto new ventures and such, and it doesn't seem to have had a lasting effect, really, on his career, except for the fact that the attention actually probably just increased his audience. Yeah, so that's interesting. I I mean, we talk about, I I feel like most of the time that we're using the phrase cancel culture, it's in a negative light. Right. I think there are certainly criticisms of that criticism of cancel culture, (laughs) and I I think we can get into that a little bit more. Uh, But I wanted to talk about my story, which is... um, in the 1950s, oh. and uh, we talked about it in the intro with uh, the Red Scare, and you know this was a period of American history, middle of the Cold War. The response to that was the suspicion of a lot of domestic um, subversives, people in Hollywood or in any facet of life, who were um, accused of being communists and being and wanting to overthrow the American government and subversive to the aims of Americanness and Christianity and all those kind of things. So I find the story of Anne Hale to be an interesting contrast to James Charles's story. Uh, the Boston Globe did a, a pretty extensive biography on her, and so uh, most of most of this story comes from that reporting. Anne Hale was a teacher in Massachusetts uh, beginning in the 30s. Her father had tutored Teddy Roosevelt's children. She went on to find a career as a school teacher, and teaching was clearly her passion. Uh, She was also really progressive for the time. She studied in Denmark. She was a proponent of education reform, ending racial segregation, women's rights. Uh, And in the 30s, she found an outlet for all of those things in the Communist Party. Oh. So, so, I mean, that's kind of an interesting thing there, because... 
all of those things that, that we said, you know, ending racial segregation, education reform, women's yeah. rights are things that we champion today. But it is a truly uniquely American value to be able to live out the activism of those things and live out progressive mindsets in whatever way that that comes up, whether that be, you know, in the Communist Party, which was even more controversial then than it sure. would be now. Um, and even now has um, certainly a, a connotation, connotation to it. Yeah. yeah. So her involvement in the Communist Party drew a pretty extensive investigation from the FBI. But in the 40s, they dropped the case. Anne Hale moved to Wayland, Massachusetts to become a second grade teacher. She ended her involvement in the Communist Party at that time, and she joined the League of Women Voters. But the world around her changed, and they were not going to forgive that time that she spent in the Communist Party. The moment that I find the most theatrical is Joseph McCarthy's speech in 1950 when he claims that he has a list of over 200 known communists in the State Department. That number fluctuated dramatically as time went on, and of course, McCarthy likely didn't know of any subversive in the State Department. But that didn't stop a period of hysteria that was to come. There was a ton of attention on Hollywood, especially yes. on producers, directors who were allegedly promulgating, you know, communist propaganda, uh, especially from the House Un-American Affairs Committee. But the hysteria permeated to all areas of the country, and it certainly found Anne Hale in Wayland, Massachusetts. Uh, so when the FBI got an unsolicited letter from a neighbor stating that Anne Hale is, quote, of an old American Christian family but condemns everything American and Christian, they decided to take action despite any real evidence of a threat. The FBI went to the chairman of the Wayland School Committee. The committee brought her in for questioning, and she demanded a public hearing, which was not at all what they wanted. The town sort of lost their mind over this, and uh, they believed that if there was one communist lurking in their midst, there have got to be others. But the hearing of Anne Hale is really heartbreaking. She tried to defend her love of country and of teaching, her right to have unpopular political ideas, and she underwent a series of eight hearings in three weeks, and that kind of crazy schedule was intended to make them tedious uh, to curb public interest, but that did not work. At the end of it all, they come to a pretty sad conclusion. They decide that she is unfit for teaching, and they dismiss her. She had one request, which was to be able to say goodbye to her second grade students, but that too was denied. You know what that, I mean, what you just said initially reminded me of was f felons. I know that's oh, okay. very different because they've, you know, they've faced federal persecution in some cases, but it's just, I imagine, you know, once you get out of prison or once you have something on your record that is so tainting, one might say, that it's a lot harder to, you know, find a way to live your life and find a way to support yourself. I'm actually really interested that you brought that up because Anne Hale's story is kind of easy for us these days. You know, she was exercising a, what we all agree to be an American right of political assembly and association and political speech, and she was you know, unjustly uh, deprived of her livelihood on those grounds. But that's really easy for us to grasp. 
it's a lot harder for us to have conversations about those times when maybe somebody has done something wrong, but that doesn't mean that they should be relegated to um, spend the rest of their life struggling and, um, and not have the ability for redemption. Sure. And a lot of what we consider now to be almost our, our basic rights as U.S. citizens have been stripped from them. For example, voting. Uh, just circling back to the connection between Hale's story and the James Charles story, what really struck me was the difference in the outcomes of their situations. Obviously, the circumstances are extremely different. But for Hale, having a public trial or having the public involved did not end up being a positive. Mm -hmm. And for James, as we mentioned, there there was nothing that he was really taking the blame for. There was nothing that she accused him of that he couldn't exonerate himself of. And he ended up coming out of the situation pretty much unscathed. Yeah, the, the outcomes, outcomes are, are very, very, very different. drastically different. Well, I was just going to say, I think that that is part of the privilege of that, of the platform and the position that James Charles has. Because, I mean, are they exact analogies? No. But we, we can say... <laughs> Definitely not exact analogies. <laughs> but, we, you know, we can say that, that both of these individuals did something that in hindsight is, is not, you know, not really objectionable, but... And, were, and faced immediate backlash for it. But whereas James Charles now has 18 million subscribers, um, Anne Hale, you know... She had her life ruined. Exactly, yeah. It's, you know, it's like you couldn't have a more opposite outcome, really. Right, right. Um, the ending is not the same at all. And I guess we're talking about, obviously, different time periods, different circumstances um, of what the trial of each of these people, and I say that trial lightly in James Charles's case, mm-hmm. um, what that would look like. And obviously, Hale's situation was more drastic because she was not only facing persecution from the public, but she was also in a legal trial. Right, right. Well, she, yeah, she had representation. She had lawyers actually her initial lawyer uh quit the case just because it was so unpopular uh she had uh her her reverend at at her church which was a pretty liberal church defended her as well and faced a whole lot of backlash for that uh the church suffered a lot um definitely (laughs) definitely more more uh high stakes in that instance so moving on from this there was another story that i wanted to talk about just because in hindsight, the person involved in this story, you wouldn't look back and say this person was innocent. Right. And that's where it gets a lot harder. Right. Exactly. Um, So I wanted to talk a little bit about Dave Chappelle, who is a comedian, an American comedian. And he, in 2019, he released a stand-up special titled Sticks and Stones that you could say sparked some controversy. His audience was very critical of his deconstruction of the Me Too movement, and he made many jokes that were considered transphobic. He defended many celebrities that had been canceled or had recent controversies in the media, uh, including Kevin Hart, Michael Jackson, and he made light of those controversies, as well as making jokes surrounding the victims of those controversies. So his attempt to hold people accountable for cancel culture actually had the opposite of its intended mm-hmm. effect. It actually resulted in him getting canceled, which personally I found ironic. Yeah. But many leftist news sources released articles that criticized both him and the special, 
And he went on to explain how he believes that political correctness is ruining comedy. But it took what, in my opinion, could have been a hard-hitting statement too far. I watched the special uh, when it came out in 2019, and I personally do agree that he went too far with his jokes, although he is known to have a more raunchy and controversial sense of humor. So I would assume that the people watching this would have some sort of awareness surrounding that if they've watched any of his other specials. But regardless... Right, but I mean, uh, the, the response that we hear to that all the time is that, you know, if if you can't be fu- if you can't be funny without being racist or sexist or transphobic or whatever it is, you're probably not that funny. <laughs> right, exactly. And I think that what really compelled me about this special is that he's trying to... Obviously, he's, he's making many inflammatory statements, but he's try- the, the point he's trying to get across is, is kind of actually what I've been trying to get across a little bit and my, what I personally believe. I think that there are a lot of positives about cancel culture, us being able to take back power and hold people accountable for their actions when we feel like the law has not done that according or, or you know, higher people in positions of power have not done that to the extent that the public deems necessary. But then again, you know, there's many, I mean, there's many you know, negative, negative outcomes from cancel culture that don't really get talked about as much. Right. I think the response that I've certainly read about and that I sort of want to want to bring to you on this is there are a lot of people who feel that this idea of cancel culture, that people like Dave Chappelle um, and you in a wildly more appropriate way are (laughs) um, perhaps taking on uh, is that maybe it doesn't really exist to the extent that that we think it does because there are a whole lot of people who are who have done things and we've said oh they're canceled they're done uh they've they've made this comment they've made that comment but they're still having successful careers i I think one like our president exactly there's a whole lot of a whole lot of um, in politics and in culture and celebrities, there are so many examples that we can find. I, I mean, one right. one that people talk about is the book American Dirt, uh, which was Janine Cummins, who's a, a white woman, uh, at least identified as white up until 2016. Oh uh, no! Yeah, b- b- before she before she wrote this book, uh, American Dirt. Which was about the experience of um, uh, Mexican immigrants coming across the border and uh, the hardships of that. And, uh, you know, the book got a lot of acclaim, was on Oprah Winfrey's uh, book club, um, but it also got a lot of backlash for sort of appropriating that story. It's not really in her authentic voice. It's, it's not really consistent with her culture. And... The response to people, uh, the, the response to people saying, oh, you're going too far by everybody, you know, condemning her on Twitter or whatever it may be, is she's still top of the New York Times bookselling list for or the top of the New York Times picks for many, many weeks. And so does it really matter? Like, even if you get roasted on Twitter by a bunch of people who might have great points and are trying to trying to. um you know, make the world a better place. And even if they go too far, if it doesn't have any material effects on your livelihood and on the work that you're doing, it's not like we cannot call Jeanine Cummins or Dave Chappelle, who also still has a very successful career, analogous to somebody like Anne Hale. Right. That's fascinating. You know, I think that 
there are celebrities that are affected by, you know, the actions that they take or allegedly have taken. Um, for example, you know, they can't get hired again or they, people don't want to work with them. But, you know, there are cases that where we will, will, will say that, you know, this person has been canceled, like they're, they're canceled. But, you know, if there's no legitimate effect on their livelihood, does that, does that really even have any significance? That mm-hmm. phrase, you know, we can say we withdraw our personal support for them, but I bet you there's five other people who have not done that or are new fans, you know? Yeah, exactly. You know, when we talk about dualities um, in the context of individuals, and I think that's, that's clearly what this is, this idea of being, having done things that are wrong, having done things that we struggle to reconcile with, but still, you know, create value. That, that doesn't mean that, this, that a person should be completely cast aside, but it's like, how can you, how can you have both and? How can you hold somebody accountable without saying your life is over? And I think a lot of times what we see is jumping to either extreme. It's either saying, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a quick, quick, easy, pe- I mean, we can talk about our president, or we can talk about, um, <laughs> you know, other instances, Janine Cummins, um, maybe even Dave Chappelle, instances where, I mean, do you just get a slap on the wrist? Do you have some people saying you're bad, but you still have a massive following? Or are there times that, like you've discussed, where you can't get hired anymore and the repercussions are, are too broad? I think the reason for this, truthfully, is this idea of heroification, because we struggle to embrace the faults of the people that we idolize. And because of that, we believe that the heroes in our lives and in history are faultless, and those people who have done bad things are disqualified. I think that um, an interesting example of this is Helen Keller. You know, most people know uh, the that scene of Anne Sullivan teaching Helen Keller to uh, sign uh, with wa- sign water for the first time, and, and I think that that's the idea. That's that's where most of our knowledge of her stops. But her adult life, uh, she was very committed. She was a pretty radical socialist. Actually, she got some uh, heat in the uh, McCarthy era for sure. Um, and what's even more offensive us to us today is her support of eugenics. Uh, the Bollinger baby case. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, which I actually had no idea really. that that, yeah. yeah, it's, it's very interesting considering her status as a disability advocate, but, oh, <laughs> right, right. Exactly. In the Bollinger baby case of 1915, uh, was essentially a baby who, um, had a mental and physical disability and could have perhaps been saved, uh, by surgery, but the surgeon decided that um, he was not going to do that. Uh, it was sort of a, a societal look of like, uh, we shouldn't be saving uh, people who are going to go on and be what they called at the time uh, mentally and morally disrupted. And so um, there was actually an author who sort of in in response to this, it got a lot of, it was at the center of public discourse in 1915, uh, an author who said, there are all sorts of people who are uh, disabled, but have created a huge impact on the world. And she named Helen Keller. And then Helen Keller comes back and she said, oh, no, I think that, <laughs> I, I think that uh, the doctor made the right decision and, and, sa- and has some, some pretty 
some pretty harsh, harsh words about um, a baby who is morally corrupt and um, ho- a hopeless life and not worthwhile or, or quotes from, from what she said. Right. Well, I think this kind of brings the idea, I mean, this is related, but, you know, history is written from the perspective of, we, I, I talk about this a lot in history classes, but from the winner's perspective. Right, right. And so we want to make American history look as beautiful as we can. So we take these isolated instances of heroism, as you stated, and idolize the people involved, which is hard because that really strips them essentially of, of their humanity because people are flawed, right. sometimes greatly flawed. And I think that's applicable to everyone. We can't discredit celebrity, or I guess we can, but <laughs> I question the validity of discrediting celebrities or Helen Keller or honestly anyone based on mistakes. Exactly. I mean, everyone has done things that they regret. We can go back to the example I brought up before with felons. Does that felony discredit them as a human being? I hope not. Right. I would hope not as well, but it seems that the the tendency of society at large is to focus on either all the good or all the bad present in a situation and there can't be a middle ground. I guess maybe because that's too hard for us to think about, which is really disheartening to me because I believe that everyone is complex and multifaceted and you can't put people into categories like good and bad that are just so black and white because it's it's hardly ever that simple. There's no doubt that exactly. There's no doubt that that's the lesson that we should take uh, that you know, we we shouldn't discount Helen Keller's advocacy work and her writing and her achievements because she supported something that most of us would say is wrong. We shouldn't entirely discount uh, people like Dave Chappelle because even though he said things that are wrong and he should be held accountable for that. There's, I think that we so often get this wrong, but I think there's a path to do better. Next time, we'll discuss the duality between economics and public health as we look at how two universities are planning for the future amid COVID-19. Thank you for listening to Duality. If you like what you heard, subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts.